All right, guys. Uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, Hundred Books a Year with Kevin. Uh, today, um, I said yesterday it could be the last episode of the book on Lynchman. Um, I lied. <laughs> I wanted to to kind of um, get something uh, be more a little bit more comprehensive. I think about maybe not talk about this example. It's just like a tiny little tidbit that I got from the book. Um, so uh, today I thought about not talking about it and then, um, and I was like, yeah, why not? Let's just do an extra episode on this. Maybe I spend a couple minutes on this. It'll be like a five, six six minute podcast and then uh, people can benefit from this. So, um, the topic I'm talking about is emotional labor, right? So emotional labor is something that says Golden believe that is the most important thing as a linchpin can do right um it's probably one of the top things because we all know what physical labor is right um you're lifting you're building something you might have a sore elbow you might have a sore knee by the end of the day right like you feel that you've been laboring but in the stage where i want to say in a modern society where we don't do physical labor very often then when we are in the knowledge workspace, we don't really have that feeling, right? I know somebody maybe like, you know, when they're doing something that's um, high up, like say uh, investing in a new company, right? Or Series A, Series B, something like that. I think it'd probably be a little bit more different, but most people in quote unquote good jobs, right? Whether you're a accountant or lawyer or whatever, you kind of, don't feel that anymore, right? Or that's just kind of how I feel. Um, it's very, very rarely where I got down with a good day of work and I feel like, ooh, I'm like drained today, right? Not very often. So here's what says argue, uh, argue is that even though physical labor is difficult, like we're not arguing about that, but it's not the most difficult kind of labor. The most difficult kind of labor is the emotional labor. And here's why, right? Because it's so easy to 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 bypass emotional labor. It's so freaking easy, right? That's part uh, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this on this last episode on this book because I almost by bypass it myself, right? Um, in the workforce, right? Maybe like you know, um, having a tough conversation. Right, uh, a person is not performing well. You have to, you know, have that conversation with them, and you know, or, or you know, like when you see somebody doing something that is not so ideal in the public, you, you, you want to call call them out or on the website, right, or on the um, internet, and it is so easy to show up not doing emotional labor, right, and 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 just going to that you know, autopilot mode, and it's so easy. But over time, your own your uh, organization won't pay extra for somebody who does the easy stuff. Um, in a sense, like, if the company is fine with working with a bunch of quote-unquote, um, you know, um, autopiloter, let's put it that way, right? And then, like... When people don't put out emotional labor, then they're not gonna progress, right? So, part of the reason that I just don't want to uh, 
not talk about this this emotional labor thing. It's there's this great examples in the book, and I actually went down a rabbit hole. It's actually really really interesting. Um, have you guys ever by paintings? I guess in the Western world, or if you're listening to this, maybe in you know, like China, um, have you ever wondering who painted it? Like a replica, right? Let's say the famous Van Gogh painting or Monet. Right, the replica of it. It is real painting. Like it's not a print. But have you ever imagined who painted that? Right. As it turns out, it talks about it in the book. I was actually uh, googling the city. There is this um, uh, village, uh, or in Chinese we call it Chunzhuang. Right. There's this village called Da Fen. Okay, D A F E N. Da Fen. You can just uh, Google uh, this Da Fen village and then you do painting and then they will pop up. So it is in the southern part of uh, China in uh, Guangdong province uh, in uh, Shenzhen city, which is a big, uh, you know, a very prosperous um, economic zone that was set up in, in the um, late 80s by the Chinese government. So what does this village do is this entire village paints. So, this, so everybody in this village, they have young children, they put them in painting school, they paint, they paint, they paint. Most of the real replica that we see, let's say you want to buy Van Gogh's, I don't know, uh, you know the Asteri Night uh, painting. If you want to buy the real oil painting version, like 90% of the time it's coming from Da Fen, right? So that's actually pay for like a big painting, uh, back in the 2010s uh, for like 70 bucks and then they got shipped from Dafen to him, right? So the entire city makes a living on painting. But here's a kicker though. They only, well, they, they're they not only doing that, but they paint famous painting over and over again to trade it for money. If you think about that, right? So they have no emotional labors to it, right? Because if you think about it, right, like who will pay somebody, I don't know, 70 bucks for some random guy from a village to paint something that they don't know the answers or they're not famous for, right? Or they're, they're like no collect, there's no value to it, right? So they kind of are stuck in this kind of creative dead zone where they have to recreate famous painting from history but they're not investing emotional labors to it. So if you truly think about this, what do they gain, right? What do they do? Like what do they kind of, what do they get in the long term? They're going to be, you know, stuck in the same spot. Maybe there's, there's going to be one or two people get famous from their own painting, maybe once in a blue moon. But they're going to be doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Because when they're doing it, with them not being creative, they don't have any emotional labor being put into the work that they do. So in the long term, they're, they're not going to benefit. Sure, they can make a living, but they're not going to benefit from that. So here's the thing I want to end on for this book. Where it's... it's, it's is the gift of emotional labor is in a sense, if you want to become a linchpin, right? We talk about how do we not get bogged down by resume? How do we recognize great uh, company that are hiring for linchpin, right? How do we set ourselves apart 
we talk about all that, but the thing that was emotional labor is very, very cool is when you do emotional labor, when you actually invest in it, when you care about what you're doing, you benefit, your boss benefits, your company benefits. And in the long term, that person will win in the long term, right? I just, I just listened to my favorite podcast called the All In Podcast uh, with you know, a bunch of um, Android investors and business people. They're all, you know, like probably a couple of them are billionaires. Um, they, they, they talk about something that's really, really cool is that, right, like when you are thinking about this concept, it's really not about winning or losing in life. It's really about trying and learning. Let me repeat that. I think Chamas uh, said this in this podcast. It's not really about winning or losing in life. It's really about learning and trying, right? Bet on yourself, right? And then, you know, like jump ship and try something new. I think, I, I think it's, it's just a very, very cool um, situation that we can at least be a part of in this particular scenario. So, um, okay, cool. Uh, I'm so glad that I did this podcast. Uh, this is the last episode, though, for the Lynchpin book. And then tomorrow we're going to start a new book. Thank you so much and uh, have a good day.